0: Hello and welcome to Fucked Up by Faith. My name's Jude Mills. In this podcast we have conversations with people who've been fucked up by their faith and we explore how they've found hope, healing, reconciliation and forgiveness in or out of their faith tradition. Hey, my guest today is Rian Hello, Rian. Good to see you. Hi. Rian works in uh, mental health and is quite happy for her story to emerge as we move through this conversation. Um, But as always, I will begin by reading a poem. And this poem that I've chosen today is called Your Presence is Near, and it's by Julianne Lep. We have not forgotten... In nature we seek you in the whisper of wind, in the new green wood. Your presence is near. We have not lost hope in the dust of the desert, in the rush of the wave, in the rise of the mountain. Your presence is near. We remember the cycle and the promise of blossoms In the dying leaves, in the bare branches. Your presence is near. Thank you. Mm. So, Rian, how have you been fucked up by your faith? Okay, that's a big question. Um, I think when I first
1: contacted you I said maybe it's fucked up by fundamentalism rather than fucked up by faith Faith wow. in general. Yeah I wasn't brought up in it as a young child so not from a fundamentalist family but at, at the age of probably about nine or ten I started going to a fundamentalist Welsh chapel hmm. and it was quite extreme so it, as you probably probably your your image of a fundamentalist welsh chapel it probably met all those things and more okay we would have we would have sermons on hellfire mm-hmm. probably you know 50 minutes an hour three times a sunday mm-hmm. three, um, ta- three times um, oh yeah yeah so so very strong hellfire preaching um a very strong sense of um n- not many people were going to heaven basically
0: apart from this church
1: so it had that kind of element of um I mean certainly I mean certainly not the Catholics and probably not the Anglicans really they were they needed you know they needed salvation they needed to find Jesus and be saved so the, the need to sort of receive personal salvation and be saved from hell yeah. and the preaching on hell was pretty vivid you know descriptions of fire people being I remember people being sort of identified in the congregation if they're children were non-believers and being told you know descriptions of burning burning bodies kind of thing being My thrown word. around so probably right. at, at the extreme end of fundamentalism mm-hmm. and lots of things that go with that I guess around um, that kind of extreme um, thinking. I mean, what does go with that extreme type of thinking is a is a very strong sense of belonging if you're in, because the boundaries are very tight, I think, around yes. you're in or you're out. So there can be a really sort of nice, what is actually a sort of what, what draws people in is a sense of rightness and certainty and we belong and um, a sense of purpose and meaning in being in the sort of chosen brigade. Yes. But of course, already you can notice that, you know, that, um that people aren't aren't being ex- included in that and um and obviously things that there are other things that go with that kind of extreme thinking in terms of um attitude towards women women would be wearing hats so as a young girl I was watching all the leaders being male and um women I think they were allowed to speak I think they might have been allowed to teach Sunday school
0: yes children but only children. other women yeah
1: only only the younger children, as soon as you get older, you know you'd need a man <laughs> so so there's a huge amounts of kind of gender um, um sexism mm-hmm. um okay differentials between gender, but i would I would call it quite sexist views, so quite um quite a strong and unusual environment to be.
0: choosing to be
1: in I was choosing it I wasn't brought up in it
0: and uh, so you you chose it does that mean that you went by yourself without your family yeah I wanted to be there Hmm. Um, yeah so I mean I developed relationships
1: there because these churches are very good at providing sort of friendships and, and support, but it wasn't. It wasn't from my family, and I think I then drew more my friends in because, of course, I needed to to save them from hell. So, so it it does. It did provide a level of sort of community and belonging. Yeah,
0: um,
1: a, a very compromised one in lots of ways, but you know, a nice you you know, good youth group, lots of activities, yes. trips, and a sense of purpose in life. So those things are very attractive as many aspects of fundamentalism are attractive at different stages
0: you mentioned the sense of certainty and Mm. um, and i think that can be that can be very a very strong draw for people isn't it yeah it's a great teenage rebellion
1: because you're right. If you think of, if you think of teenage rebellions, it was fantastic because I mean I had the Bible behind me. so you know <laughs> me being right and everything else everybody else being wrong, that's a, that's a lovely te- you know that's a teenage yes. position often you know it, um, it and they were, it's not just they were wrong, they were evil
0: you know <laughs> So, well, so those kind it.
1: of things, yeah. the kind of passion of teenage years and those processes which are sort of a natural kind of teenage um stage sometimes were quite intensified. It created a very um, a very sort of compelling teenage rebellion. Yes. I always and think.
0: I I yes, I've had the same thought myself and I do wonder it's probably more than a wonder, I wonder to the, the extent to which that is very much used by these very charismatic Churches to draw young people in, knowing that that's mm. going to be part of how they do, how they bring them into the fold. Um, I do. It does worry me.
1: Yes, that's interesting. The people are consciously doing that. I think they are with these conferences and the big events for young people. There's a sort of sense of they're on their own and they're vulnerable. You know, they're on their own. They're with their friends. They're going to make a commitment to Jesus in that environment, aren't they? You know, there is almost and and almost a sense of. I mean, I I think this is confused. I think there's some kindness with this, but a sense of vulnerable people are more likely to convert. So there's almost a preying on the vulnerable, and that mm-hmm. is it's. You know, people do genuinely want to help as well. I think it's confused, but I yes, think I there don't is think that.
0: There's malice. malice. I don't think there's malice. Yeah. But mm. I think
1: people know that the more vulnerable you are, maybe because you're a teenager and you want a different way or you're vulnerable in terms of um addiction or other types of vulnerability or loneliness, you know, that you're gonna be better. I was gonna use the word prey. It does feel a bit like they are preyed on a bit by evangelical churches yes. or mm. fundamentalist churches.
0: They're certainly targeted. And that I mm. and it's it's yeah, it is something that I um I do question sometimes about the, you know, even in the Church of England more widely, not just the evangelical arm of it, is very much into how do we attract young people into the church, how do we attract young people into the church, Um, and while I think that's potentially a worthy goal, I'm I'm also, I also have a wariness about how, (laughs) how do we do that and, and yeah and the vulnerabilities that that young people have anyway just by by nature being young you know yeah and particularly teenagers whose brains are um quite volatile It it
1: edges on exploitation doesn't it there's also a focus on students I remember this idea we'll get them at that stage and also just the naivety that people won't change their mind somehow we think if we um, which I'll probably come to later, that there's not an expectation that you'll have your views will change over the years. There's a kind of idea that if we get
0: wrong, they'll be in the fold forever. Mm. Which, you know, which isn't clearly isn't the case. But yeah, yeah. so I'm curious about, obviously, you were there as a, as a as a teenager, as a young person in that in that very kind of volatile, impressionable time. Um how long did it last?
1: Well, once when I was eighteen, I left home, so I left the the chapel, so the the very extreme environment. So then I um, was living in different places. So I, I went to university. So I I then ex- sort of experienced the the what I would say the sort of more it was certainly milder than what I'd come from, but still I was very happy and an even evangelical environment so I and and the sort of excesses of the hellfire preaching and stuff weren't there Mm -hmm. but the themes are still there the themes which I now look back on critically Mm -hmm. um were still there in that seemingly nicer environment you know you're you're saved because God's good but you're you know you're pretty awful those kind of (laughs) themes you know the salvation You know those kind of themes, which I'd now look on critically, were still there, and there's still that kind of these people are in and these people are out. I look so back so sadly on that when I think of my being at university and how I sort of looked for Christians because I'd think I'd have more in common with them, and that kind of dualism of these are the these are the people with the truth and these are the people without. It's a sort of a sadness for me that I would that I had that that kind of view of the world. Luckily, I always—I think—I've always got a, a, a sort of curious brain. So I—I yeah. I, I hope I wasn't too horrendous to the people around me, because <laughs> <laughs> I think even throughout this period where I was very sold up, sold in, whatever the word is, sold, sold out to fundamentalism. There was some other stuff going on, which was more positive um, in that somehow in the midst of my sort of Welsh chapel years, I'd managed to find the Greenbelt Festival, which yes. um, if people don't know, is was a festival at that time was an arts festival. So um, it had a range of thinking i somehow managed to get my parents to drop me off in a field there when I was 15. And I mean, I, they, they wouldn't have known anything about it. I didn't know much about it, but I had a little, there was a little bit of courage in me to do those kind of things. And then I absolutely embraced the social justice side yes. of, of what Greenbelt was talking about. So I became hugely interested in liberation theology, actually, in terms of what was going mm. on in Latin America and what, the words of Jesus in terms of offering kind of freedom and and justice for the poor, the Beatitudes. All that stuff became really important. So even whilst on one level, I was very sold up to a very individualistic salvation um, by grace alone theology. I was also developing a a social justice theology. Mm. So I was getting exposed to some different things. So some questions were beginning to build. That kind of combined in terms of, I'd want to do quite extreme things. So I went off to Calcutta um, when I was 18. I worked with someone who people might remember called Tony Campolo for another period. I always wanted to do the extreme, which of course was again, a kind of extreme reaction um to some to some of the thinking because I had to be so good I couldn't just be you know there's there's talk about you're saved by grace and by love but actually because all you're hearing is how sinful and awful you are that actually I think there's a contradiction in your reaction so on one level um I was very driven to be as good and as perfect and as giving as I could possibly be so I did these quite extreme things which I look back um, and feel quite sorry for my younger self in terms of, and also for the people who had to be around me, <laughs> for myself. Oh, after, <laughs> but I was very genuine and very passionate about it, and of course I had amazing experiences because it. What happened, of course, is those experiences pushed me into, um, a, into other worlds, which then, brought up the contradictions of yeah. what, um, I was believing in terms of my doctrines. Yeah. I was around people who were struggling um who were all, I was around people who who were very loving yet didn't have these Christian beliefs and of course that challenged yeah. that dualistic kind of world as Christians is good and everyone else is really awful really so it was bringing up questions for me
0: yeah so one of the most I suppose uh Enlightening things we can do is to be exposed to other cultures and other parts mm-hmm. of the world and to see how people who are not like us live. Um but also, you know you there is there was a huge amount of of courage there, wasn't there in in although the motivation might have been um your own salvation. It sort of brought salvation yeah. in another way.
1: <laughs> well, I was fortunate.
0: and what really yeah. blew
1: apart really the the sort of the fundamentalist phase was I went to work in an alcohol rehab center yeah and um so I was exposed to kind of the 12-step model which is a really interesting spirituality path mm-hmm. um but also about embracing I was just around people who are really honest about because they had to be, because they were sort of, pe- they were homeless people, they were, they, were, they had nothing left. So there's a kind of nakedness mm-hmm. around people's failings. And, and for me, that sort of connected me to my own needs and what I was doing and my dubious motivations <laughs> because of the, uh, suddenly in this environment of, you know, sort of stark honesty, really, in a, in a very, I suppose brokenness, really. And I also had a very wise supervisor there who was a psychotherapist. Um, who'd done a journey from the Salvation Army to the Catholic Church and she started giving me books on the mystics, on the contemplative tradition. So Mm. I discovered people like Julian of Norwich and Mm. John of the Cross. So suddenly, so, so I would have been in sort of quite evangelical churches at this time, but I was sort of sneaking the mystics and I started going, so I started to sort of, see another view so julian of norwich i guess is more about original blessing I would say than original sin you know it's about we're all you know we will be well and our goodness so I started to maybe have the courage to challenge some of the doctrines that intuitively by this point I already intuitively knew that there was a complete contradiction between for instance the teaching on sexuality you know compassionate Jesus Mm -hmm. and excluding and making people feel shame for who they were so I already saw the contradictions but being exposed to um, another tradition really helped me have the confidence to actually say, actually, what's all this stuff about sacrifice? And is it all about Jesus on a cross? Actually, it doesn't bring... Why would why would a loving father need to do that? This doesn't intuitively feel right to me. So I started to be exposed to, to the mystical tradition and also just the quietness of that. So I started going on retreats and I realised, I suppose, that there was something in the quiet rather than the noise. of Because mm-hmm. these are very noisy, these places I'd been. There was a lot of telling me what to think and do. And suddenly I found something else mm. in the quiet, which gave me a bit of courage. I mm-hmm. suppose a courage to leave eventually, that mm-hmm.
0: there was something, something a bit different. And did you leave? Is, is there a point that you can identify? Uh. particular it was a moment yeah it was a long so when I say
1: I was probably about 10 years after finding the mistakes (laughs) Um, it took it took it took a long time because obviously I was very invested um, in in we'd moved to me and my husband had moved to a new town and the first thing we did was find a church so we had all those kind of community our community was based around that and it took a long time I felt There was a stage in, there were a few stages. There was a a stage of thinking, of of saying to people, I'm not an evangelical anymore, that felt a stage. Mm -hmm. There was a stage of no longer believing in an interventionist God that -hmm. felt important because I couldn't, again, that was something I couldn't make sense of intellectually with suffering in the world. And I was making all kinds of mental gymnastics to try and find a way to make sense of a god that intervened in certain circumstances when we prayed and one who didn't yes. but once you've got to that stage a lot of church services don't make a lot of sense because you know well what's the prayer what's all this praying about i mean i think there might be a purpose to prayer but i don't think you know a lot of it is can we have a, a you know a nice day and let's hope hopefully you know, can we pray for world peace or whatever you know nice hmm. things but um not if you if you stopped believing in an interventionist God, it doesn't make a lot. It doesn't have a lot of meaning. Mm. And then finally, I left the community. So that took a long time. Took quite a long time. Mm. Um, and 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 took a bit of confidence. But I was incredibly lucky, really. I just so feel for people who are doing this on their own it did take courage but my husband had gone through a a similar process so he'd already left I didn't have to go through the for some people it's really losing their main community and main relationships
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um throughout it I, I mean I'm I was still I'm still in a group of friends that we made there where we still have a discussion group 15 years on because the group could tolerate you know they weren't they could let me move at my my pace yeah you know so there's yeah. compromises on both sides how how amazing is that yeah and all yeah, the way through wonderful. I had the green belt festival every year we went you know we still had a lot of um support I was then exposed to sort of lots of thinkers which supported that um which would, you know, which were, would, who there was a bit of a community in Greenbelt at that stage of people who were leaving churches and people yes. like Dave Tomlinson, who you've had yeah. on your podcast. I mean, I was mm-hmm. able to read people like Dave who were supporting the journey. So I just, I feel pretty lucky, really. I mean, it was painful and there was confusion. It was, it's mm-hmm. very hard to explain in churches. I remember when my husband stopped coming, it was just wasn't in people's minds that we would change our minds. That you change yes. you just have different views i remember someone saying because my husband stopped going before me so i was still going i remember people they'd sort of built up stories and they mind. they thought he'd moved away they were like oh he's become a student and he's moved away to this town So, like no he's he's playing golf <laughs> he doesn't want to come anymore <laughs> But it's it was absolutely it's like it wasn't in people's mentality to think okay you know that they've changed their minds that they don't believe that the that they have thought out views on doctrine mm-hmm. you know it's very thought out for me i was reading all the i was reading lots of theology because i wanted to make sense of it i wanted to um i was reading people like marcus borg and yes you know i knew why i was moving away i was, had a pretty well-argued theology really of the things I was challenging yes. but there wasn't um no one expected that it was I suppose it was seen as the backs you know we were just the, the backsliders who were leaving rather than people who were growing really and
0: learning and and having
1: different views
0: or, or I suppose in some camps that would be even considered you know almost the work of dark forces that you know yeah. that were that we're intervening or taking you away rather yeah. than I mean I I
1: think it's very difficult really I do get that cuz having been a fundamentalist I I think it's really tricky because you it's very easy to come at it from a kind of postmodern thinking like everything's true but when you're in that world there is right and wrong people are going to heaven mm-hmm. or hell mm-hmm. so it's not okay to just pick and choose what you want of the bible <laughs> You know, and I can see that it was also painful for some of our relatives, because for them it wasn't growth; it was moving away from the truth. And if
0: yes.
1: if there is the truth, and there is, like you say, then evil and, and wrong thinking, then it's not okay. So I kind of get that, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. also that's tricky. It's a it's a tricky it's tricky to know that you're disappointing people. I remember one relative, I, there was a week where um, we, I'd been reading the book, Losing My Religion. Yes. And I went to this relative's house and they they'd bought the book or the, it was, the, there was a book out um, called Once Saved, Always Saved. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, so it's painful. It's painful for people. And I, I kind of see that, but of course, you know, we had to, yeah, you know, once once you've opened the can of, worms go, whatever you can't
0: you can't put the lid back on it no you can't put the lid on your your thinking um well I suppose I suppose potentially you could and and Mm. decide not to allow these thoughts into your awareness because the alternative is safer maybe safer easier that's very interesting actually I think of it a lot in terms of I think
1: it's a Jungian idea that that I think he talks about families and he says families offer you know there's often two things going on families offering security mm-hmm. and then the ability to ideally families will offer safety and then the ability to individuate so to be free and to think your own unthought but quite often in families, they're really good at the security, but they might not be good at the other thing, the letting the freedom go, you know, the freedom to grow, the freedom to be different. So, and I think it's, and that really resonates. And, you know, I can think about that in terms of my own life and you wanna, you know, with me as a parent or whatever, it's nice to offer security and hold on to people. It's harder to let them really grow and be different and individuate and i think for churches that's a massive issue isn't it because to keep our congregations we need you know we need you know we we offer a lot and they offer brilliant safety and security and belonging some churches not all some are pretty excluding but but gen, some are really good at offering that but there's very few churches that offer the both the security the safety and the freedom so this idea that you need to be held and free It'd be lovely if you could have that, but in my yes. experience, it's usually they do pretty well with the holding and very pretty poorly with the, the freeing. But of course, I, It's
0: yeah. probably true of their adult congregation as well. <laughs>
1: but, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We keep people as children because it's it's very hard to run an institution with people free thinking and disagreeing. Thinking and, whatever they
0: think. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really yeah, difficult. Absolutely. That's a it's yeah. Um there was something around the yes, that idea of individuation. Um and what you were saying about the, the the pain of having to allow yourself to be free to believe your own beliefs and think your own thoughts, which was very contrary to the way that some family members believed, that could actually potentially cause them pain. And yeah. and that that's that's difficult um whatever often whatever you are doing which is contradictory to the the family's ethos. so it could be you know it, it could be that you they're atheist and you become a Christian um and that can be very difficult <laughs> that could be very yeah. difficult for families to accept yeah, um, yeah. I've, you know i've I've seen that from the the other perspective as well
1: yeah, difference is difficult isn't it it's a it other nurse and and difference, and we all struggle with it, whether it's coming to faith or moving away from faith. It's a real challenge to accept that Mm. in other people.
0: Mm. And to potentially risk losing close relationships because of it, yeah.
1: Yeah, and Mm. I really understand why lots of people stay. I feel just incredibly fortunate, really.
0: Mm.
1: Mm. And I've kept a lot of it. Um, I was laughing with you before we started. I think that I, I still very much live with many of the values mm-hmm. and hopefully the good things about what i've learned and got from church environments the kind of meeting together with people i'd still just try and be in loads of groups the discussion i've also realized i've started to go to folk gigs with people with guitars singing with communal singing and i'm thinking <laughs> i'm even i mean the communal singing is
0: good for you i miss yes it story. is oh really. If, yeah. if you took all of the elements it would be really health healthy and nourishing yeah um it's it's the bit about believing that some people are are damned to hellfire is this problematic
1: (laughs) so if you you can
0: pick out the things
1: that that are so good and i but i'm really aware that i i wasn't i i feel like i could have been i mean i was messed up by it in lots of ways but i also managed to 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 make some you know to be in a good relationship from it from me you know and and I feel I've I've been really fortunate and I'm Mm -hmm. particularly aware for women for friends who the teaching has I mean I think it's mucked me up in loads of ways I'm not I'm not saying it hasn't but some of the stuff was that I just dodged really I'm really fortunate some of the gender stuff I mean, I think of all this the teaching on dating, which was basically people male male church leaders looking around a group where sort of which was mainly mainly women with a few men and telling us we could only date Christians, only date Christian men. I mean, even without the sexuality stuff, which messed us all up, you know, just that sheer sort of, you know, you know, just um, just a lack of awareness and honesty around how women were being treated you know, our voices, some of that stuff was really powerful, you know, being told we couldn't really date, actually, because there was only about three men in the congregation, and we had to stay with a Christian man, this stuff, which has a real impact on, on your life and people's lives. Mm-hmm. So I, I also feel while I can sort of say, oh, I'm really, you know, there's lots of stuff I'm grateful for out of it. I'm also really aware of some of the very damaging stuff and I still I still work. I still notice stuff where I think, oh, yeah, that, you know, that that I'm still working on, really. And I'm 52 now <laughs> mm-hmm. and I haven't been in evangelical churches for for, for 20 of oh, 20 years, really. And I still notice things in myself, like things like not trusting my own. A lack of agency, really, not trusting myself yeah. because I was always taught to look for God's guidance. So mm-hmm. I have that kind of basic tr- lack of trust in myself. I never learned to look to myself for what might be true or might what might mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. Um, what mm-hmm. might be sort of my feelings. So I'm, you're kind of it's a it's a sort of almost lack likely. of trust in your own self, I think, or your agency almost like being in a, in an
0: abusive relationship isn't it where you've
1: well you yeah you're not taught to trust yourself and that can be particularly yeah. hard for women mm-hmm. who society tells us quite a lot not to trust ourselves so it kind of reinforces that yeah and i also notice the kind of self worth stuff a lot mm-hmm. um and you know cuz actually even though there's lots of talk of god's love as i've said it's only really because god is so loving you're absolutely awful you yes. know <laughs> so it's not really a message of worthiness really and i know you know even in sort of standard anglican liturgy and this is not just the extreme evangel or even just the evangelical church the good anglican churches you know the nice mm. seemingly nice side of it you know i was thinking about you are not worthy so much as to was it to uh, pick and up the crumbs, the crumbs, my crumbs. Table. yeah every communion service yeah. and um and of course and of course, you know, it is really important that we're critical about what we do wrong and the things we get wrong. But I, what I notice is in my working situation, we talk a lot about guilt versus shame. So guilt is when you realise you've got something wrong and I need to feel guilty yeah. that I'm using too many of the world's resources. And I need to think about um, my lifestyle and I need to think about my relationships and what I'm getting wrong. But actually, sh- usually in churches it's tipped into shame so I would say shame Mm. is then more of a bigger response so it's not just I've done something wrong it's I am something wrong I am a terrible person Mm. so I notice that in churches a lot it's quite often not okay let's look at what we could improve in our lives Mm. it's actually a more we are just not even worthy to to be seen kind of thing and I think that kind of stuff has really impacted on me And in fact, after my main leaving, of, because I left, I did a sort of big leaving of the church and then I sort of filtered back into a much nicer sort of church. But even there, really, I felt in the end, um, even though there were some lovely experiences in that and it wasn't doing the damage and the obviously damaging stuff. I did notice that some of the I was still a bit triggered and fed up with those constant messages. And again, the lack of movement on you know, excluding people, and mm-hmm. and I didn't want to be part of an institution which was institutionally discriminatory, basically, and homophobic yeah. and sexist. And I'm I was fed up of waiting. I'm still. They've had a lot of time now, you know.
0: Yeah, it's about um, time. <laughs> Absolutely. I think. Yeah, there can be different. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that I uh, value the role of preacher occasional preacher in the church is that I get to stand up and explain things like what do we mean by sin where does the word come from why you know why do we talk about it at all and and hopefully put some kind of theological meat on the bones of what people are hearing all the time and I'm not saying that I'm kind of like I've got a sort of unique place in that but it's it's something that i can do and
1: yeah, that sounds really important because we'll all have sort of breathed in so much bad theology really
0: or yes that we, we um, are yeah and that we are you know you talked about the idea of original blessing but the idea that we are fundamentally cursed because by nature of being human you know is yeah I remember (laughs) I remember in my in my
1: chapel when I was quite young the Sunday school teacher took brought in a little bottle of milk and she said this is the baby and she had food dye dark food food dye and as soon as it's born Mm -hmm. this is what she had the sin going in the food dye spread making the whole white milk and you know that stuff stayed it obviously stays with me that was 40 years ago Mm -hmm. more than 40 years ago and I remember that So that image of the kind of stained baby, the kind of original sin rather than the original blessing, Mm -hmm. it's it's important. And um, I suppose I wonder, it's hard when you've got those images in your head to kind of, yeah, it's still a struggle. I still think, I think I suppose I, I would like, I'm interested in, how you accept yourself you know or dif- I suppose I I feel like in, in my head that the more healthy way to be is accept different bits of yourself yeah so the bit of and I think in Christianity you are actually encouraged to repress different bits of yourself some people uh, have to repress major bits of themselves and that's unhealthy but even those bits of yourself like the angry bits of yourself mm-hmm. and the and the bits of yourself that aren't very nice to people or the envious bits of yourself or the jealous bits. And I feel like I was always trying to repress those bits when I was in, and I still struggle to really accept those bits of myself, but I feel that's probably the more whole and healthy position to get to Mm -hmm. when those shadow bits of yourself, you're not just trying to repress and hide away that you're actually more fully accepting yourself. so that's the bit I feel like I'm working towards which I still feel a bit fucked up about because I still feel it's easy for me to just get into again that kind of split off position where you know I want to be sort of good and perfect and holy so those bits of myself I'm not even going to think about I'm going to push them a long way away Mm -hmm. Um, and Mm -hmm. I want to I see the sense of exploring those because that's actually how you learn and grow Mm -hmm. not pushing things away Mm -hmm but there's still an impulse in me that wants to push all those things away. Was it refiner's fire? My heart's one desire is to be holy. That's what we used to sing. I mean, it's a very nice song, but, you know, always striving to be holy, but it meant I was always repressing feelings mm-hmm. and, and rather than being able to kind of integrate them. And that's something yes. I think about when I think of the things that I'm still struggling with along Time in the future, although of course we all have stuff, you know. Everyone of will course. have had stuff in their teens and twenties that influenced them in different ways. And I'm, you know, to some extent, I still feel grateful for a, a lot of it. And I still, mm-hmm. it took me into my profession, so I'm, I'm a social worker, and I'm still pretty much with the values, yeah, particularly that social justice values that I talked about, the beatitudes, blessed are the poor, and I, I'm. I'm still I still want to stay with them I still feel like this is the way I want to live and sometimes I ask myself well I've critiqued all the doctrines and I've done all this unpacking should I unpack the values and then a friend said to me well it seems to me you've just internalized good values Why you know just (laughs) don't worry you know because I do I'm I still want to live in in that way um in terms of you know hopefully As much, you know, despite the contradictions of my life, hopefully being outward looking or um, not being, not trying to advance the the richest people and being aware of social justice and being concerned about those things. Not that I've Mm -hmm. in any way got those things right, but I still would prefer to be striving for those things. And also the meaning. I think it also gave me a hunger for um, for meaning. And an awareness of the internal life over things like just maybe just getting rich or or success or whatever. I was always yes. um, and and those things still seem, you know, important things to strive for. I've got to be a bit careful. I don't get too into it because <laughs> I think it's also left me a bit judgmental and stuff like that. So I have to watch myself. But essentially, I'm still with the values. I still want to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm still intrigued by the story of Jesus. Really. Mm. I'm still very open to the idea of God. I mean, I'm probably genuinely agnostic. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm always interested. I always, you know, I'm seeking meaning, seeking the sacred. I don't have any ideas, any definite ideas of how that's. How you find these things in, in terms of and I would understand those searches very differently. But if I can live in a state of kind of looking for the sacred things in life finding life meaningful and looking for kind of awe and wonder
0: yeah
1: I feel like those are better ways to live certainly than cynicism or cutting myself off from those aspects of life and of course you do not have to be involved in religion to do that at all but it's Mm -hmm. kind of my language I guess yeah Um, yeah it's an interesting um new book by a fairly new book by a something called I'm gonna get his name wrong I think it's Dacher Keltner about awe and wonder yes. and how living a life where you look for awe and wonder is actually brings a, a lot more sort of mental health and well-being yeah and interestingly I like that. I'm that it's not and it's not actually how how much of that some of Christianity has brought me really you know like particularly an awareness of nature and and that. Mm-hmm. But also there was stuff he was talking about, about groups getting together and communities when we do something together, when we create purpose. And I was and, and how that's part of that awe and wonder. I thought, oh, yeah, that stuff really moves me as well. yes So <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of those desires as a way to live and things to things to enjoy have been rooted for me they happen to have been rooted for me in different Christian experiences or faith experiences Mm. and they've they still seem really important to me as a Mm. way to live
0: Mm. thank you does that seem like a good place to stop it does seem like a good place to stop yeah (laughs) and you I always ask my guests to share something a poem or a blessing, or something else? Have you got something to share? I know you do. I have. I've got something by um, a poet called David
1: Ray, and I had not come across him before, and it's called Thanks, Robert, Robert Frost. And why I liked it, it's about kindness to the past self. Mm. And I think yes. in, in preparing for this podcast, I was cringing and remembering how I was as my mm. fundamentalist days, and. Mm-hmm and how I used to view the world. And then this poem was a lovely challenge. Can we be kind to our past selves? Mm, so I'll read it, read it and see if it resonates.
0: Mm, Hopefully it'll you. resonate
1: for other people as well. So this is by David Ray. Thanks, Robert Frost. Do you have hope for the future? Someone asked Robert Frost towards the end. Yes, and even for the past, he replied that it will turn out to have been all right for what it was. Something we can accept. Mistakes made by the selves we had to be, not able to be perhaps what we wished, or what, looking back half the time, it seems we could so easily have been or ought. The future, yes, and even for the past, that it will become something we can bear. And I too, and my children, so I hope will recall as not too heavy, the tag of those albatrosses I sadly placed around their tender necks. Hope for the past, yes old frost, your words provide that courage and it brings strange peace that itself passes into past. Easier to bear because you said it rather casually, as snow went on falling in Vermont
0: years ago. Mm, Wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Jude. It's good to talk. You've been listening to Fucked Up by Faith with me, Jude Mills. Our music is by David Goodall and you can find the podcast on Spotify and all major podcast channels. If you would like to take part in the podcast or you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please do get in touch. You can do that via my website judemills.com forward slash podcast and I look forward to hearing from you. Go well.